0: Oh, oh, oh. and welcome to Oh No, Ross and Carrie, the show where we don't just report on fringe science, spirituality, claims of the paranormal, but take part ourselves.
1: Yep. When they make the claims, we show up so you don't have to. I'm Carrie Poppy.
0: And I'm Ross Blotcher. And we are very pleased today to have a special guest with us, Professor David Lane. Welcome. Thanks. Good to have you here.
1: So we are here in your beautiful and strange office at Mount Sack College, uh, Mount San Antonio College. I'm used to calling it Mount Sack. Right. Yeah. Most people do. Tell us what we are looking at. Yeah,
0: this is the coolest office I have ever seen. It, it's, a, it's
2: a strange office. We developed it about 10 years ago. And what I did was bring all the Indian artifacts. My wife, who's also a PhD, UC Santa Barbara, she studied the influence of North Indian religions on cults in North America. Okay. So what happened is I just brought on all these books. And we also have another library over there where we give free books to students. Like every week I have them come in, take a book, and never want it back. Nice. Because <laughs> I have like 17,000 books in my library in the desert. So it's like insane. I have I suffer from bibliomania. Yeah, oh, so do we.
0: Book addiction,
1: and uh-huh. so
2: that's my problem.
1: Okay,
0: <laughs> it's a good problem. <laughs> yeah, we can definitely uh, form a support group on on book addiction. <laughs> definitely, oh, you have the same thing. Yeah, yeah. oh, the, very much so. There's a Japanese term tsundoku, those who collect books that yes. they could never possibly read. There's just too many. That's right. Exactly.
1: <laughs> yep, I'm the same. So we're here because you wrote a book. Speaking of books called The Making of a Spiritual Movement, The Untold Story of Paul Twitchell and Eckankar," And this is the 40th year anniversary edition I'm holding. And it's still pretty much, I mean, the most respected critique of Eckankar.
2: I was very young. You know, I was 20 years old, Cal yeah. State Northridge. I had a religious studies class with Professor Happ. He asked us to do something on a cult. He used to call it cults back then. Now uh-huh. we call it new religious movements. Mm-hmm. So I picked Eckankar. And, I, you know, I'm an obsessive research kind of guy. And so I ended up writing this term paper and naively sent it to Eckenkars. In fact, <laughs> in those days, it was Menlo Park. And I thought they might like the fact that Paul Twitchell actually lied about his birth date. He claimed he was born in 1922. <laughs> hey, guys, you might want to know. In, born in 1909, more likely. And he plagiarized many of his writings. And I thought this was interesting stuff. And I talked to his first wife. Nobody actually knew he'd been married twice. I talked to his first wife. So I sent it to Akincar naively. About two (laughs) months later, my mom comes in with tears in her eyes because I was living at my mom's house. And she goes, "Uh, Dave, uh, you got a letter from these lawyers in San Francisco. They're going (laughs) to sue you if you publish your term paper. Oh wow! And since I come from a family of lawyers, my dad's a lawyer my sister's a Mm. lawyer, I wasn't intimidated. So Mm. I said, oh, my God, I must have got them, you Pushed know. Pushed a button. So for the next, uh, you know, next year, I did all this intensive research. And so that's the making of this. Uh, so I wrote that at 21.
0: As a term Amazing. paper. As a term paper. And my,
2: of course, my professor looked at it and goes, 120 pages. Who wants to read this thing? She <laughs> just lays it on a scale. Certainly not
1: me, a professor. <laughs> exactly.
2: Exactly. <laughs> and so that's caused a stir. And so what happened is, really what happened was there was a classmate of mine named James Peebles. It's kind of a mm-hmm. fascinating He's story. He's mentioned in here. He writes a little term paper himself. Well, Econcar turns around and sues him for a million dollars because what they wanted to do is get me. They wanted to, you know, get me for like two and a half million dollars as a defamation suit. So what happened is they flew down a guy named Mike Noe from Ekinkar mm-hmm. to get copies of these papers so they could find out, you know, if there's some kind of defamation suit they can take.
0: They're looking for any flaws they, in your exactly, research. Exactly,
2: But they couldn't find it in mine, but they found it in my footnotes. So they, they sued Peebles. Then they sued this professor named Ed Gruss at LA Baptist mm-hmm. College because what happened was Peebles gave a copy to Ed Gruss. And so Mike Noe got a copy of it. You know, If you make one photocopy of a defamatory term paper, that's called publication. That's right. publishing. So they mm-hmm. sued him. And it was a major thing. They took out – Econcar taking half-page advertisements around the country saying we were being attacked by fundamentalist Christians. Mm -hmm. It was just one – by the way, James Peele was a member of Akincar at the time. Really? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it was a pretty intense thing. So then the Spiritual Counterfeits Project – Wait, hang on. With the lawsuit,
1: how did that end?
2: Well, exactly. Oh, you're getting there. No, exactly what happened. The Spiritual Counterfeits Project is this fundamentalist Christian group Mm -hmm. up in in Berkeley. And they exposed cults back in the 70s and 80s. Well, they flew down and interviewed me. And they wanted to do a magazine devoted to Eckankar, you know, a hard look at a new religion. Yeah. Well, they made 40,000 copies of that magazine, distributed to every Eckankar center in the world. Uh, caused a major stir. As, as
0: an intentional... Uh, uh,
2: stir it up. Yeah. Because you know, they thought, you know, Eckankar was a fraud, right? And so they had quoted my term paper. So what happened is, is that Darwin Gross, who was then the living Ekmaster at mm-hmm. the time, sent out a worldwide memo saying that I and other people... Particularly me, was a negative power from the beginning of time, and I reincarnate into new, you know, one of the cows. The (laughs) the call force to
1: their term for evil exactly.
2: And so what happened at that point is a guy up in Oregon who was a member of Eckankar made a photocopy of my paper. It was just a little term paper, but he made a hundred, hundreds, and bicycled it throughout North America and Europe. Oh wow. And so thousands of people started leaving the group and I got tons of letters from people saying, "Oh my god, I didn't know he played around. Right, I didn't know he did this." Mm-hmm. So the lawsuit was settled with okay. people's and other people, but they had to pay the the, the legal bills of accident car. Oh, they like, did. Yeah, they did because they didn't want to pursue oh, it, you know, it was a real drag. And it, it, I'm, it against, I'm against I'm against
1: that really. settlement. Yes.
2: No, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's terrible.
1: But good for you for not being scared under when, you know, you're this 20-year-old kid and yeah, you yeah. receive well, you this know the key cease and, was, and as
2: you, you know, you have to document everything yes. you say.
1: Yes, yes.
2: And I had made these allegations of plagiarism, but the point is, is you can anybody can figure it out. It's not very difficult.
1: Right. But, yes. You have a whole chapter in here, or but, maybe more half a chapter, devoted to plagiarism where it's just side-by-side comparisons of pre-existing text and then what is supposed to be Paul Twitchell's original text, and they'll be barely different, he'll replace the word God with Ek or something like that. Right,
0: right. And it's you incredible. did all this before Google or online oh, tools? Oh, yeah, yeah. Always oh, intense. So, I guess, uh, two questions there. What originally kind of drew your attention to Achenkar? It seems like you had some pre-existing knowledge. Oh, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. Because what happened was, I turned vegetarian when I was 16. Oh, was, right on. Yeah. We're
1: vegetarians, too. Oh, holla. right on,
2: dude. Yeah, and I'm trying to go vegan, but oh, great. I'm, a, I'm a weak vegan. Okay. That's, that, that piece That's is always tempting me. You know, it's always like yeah. the bit dark side, you
1: know. That's but, fine.
2: Um, I, I've been a vegetarian for like 46 years. I've been oh, wow. oh, since amazing. I was 16. So I was interested in Eastern philosophy and meditation and all that stuff. And so I had been practicing this thing called Shabbat Yoga, which is where Echengard gets his stuff. But I was 20 and somewhat naive, didn't know very much. And so what happened is there was advertisements at various – like there used to be this great bookstore called The Bodhi Tree. Oh, yeah. In yeah, West in West Hollywood. Hollywood I mean, yeah. It was really cool. <laughs> you know.
1: it, it only closed a few years yeah, ago. Yeah. It was and lost. Yeah, and if you
2: had no money, you could sit there and read a book and pet the cat or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so – I saw the Eckengar and I started reading The Tiger's Fang by Paul Twitchell, which is oh, probably yes. his most famous mm-hmm. and fun book. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> it's from that, pretty crazy. And then all of a sudden, I met the bodyguard of Paul Twitchell's at Peason. And I also met the president, former president of Eckengar, Dr. Louis Bluth. And they all wanted me to help get the research out there. And there's also a guy who should be mentioned named Professor John Sufton, who used to be an Eckengar member at Mississippi State University. And he was also very helpful. So I had all these people wanting to get the information out. And I I guess I was the the little channel for
1: it. So you mentioned being a follower of a particular group at the time? No,
2: I wasn't a follower at that time. But what I mean was practicing meditation, Shabbat Yoga. I knew a lot about Radha Swami, which is where Twitchell gets much of his stuff from. Right. And because that's kind of my, I was interested in baseball cards as a kid. So I just transferred it over to Guru Cards if you (laughs) want to drip. And that's why I got invited to go to India as a recent. Research assistant to track down obscure gurus in North India and blah blah blah. So
1: now, are you a follower of that group?
2: I, I meditate two and a half hours a day. Oh, okay. Show, but I'm a critic, so it's like, okay. I'm, like the, I'm like the the weird, sca-
1: almost like you know Sam Harris. I
2: don't yes. Know if you know what uh-huh. Sam Harris is you know studied for like ten years in Nepal, India, meditated, took ayahuasca, teaches meditation apps, yeah. he, he has meditation apps, and he does meditation apps. But he's like an atheist meditator, right? Right. So I'm—I call myself an agnostic, mystical materialist. Okay, great. Which translates as I'm confused and don't know anything.
0: <laughs> <laughs> You're our kind of people, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so as you were starting to read Paul Twitchell's work, did you already have kind of a glimmer of recognition, like, oh, I've seen something like this? Or what kind of. What tipped you off? That's a
2: very good question. I, I think the tip off is going to sound weird. I was down in Del Mar, going surfing. You know, I surf a lot, and so I'm down at Del Mar, and there's this restaurant called Karpal's. And I went, Kripal, Kripal Singh. You know, Kripal Singh is a Shabbat Yoga guy. Twitchell had mentioned him in earlier articles. So I asked the guy, you know, do you know anything about Paul Twitchell? He goes, oh, yeah, man. Paul Twitchell was initiated by Kripal Singh in 1955. So the light bulb goes on. Mm. And I go, ah, maybe this is where he's getting his information. Well, I had a copy of Julian P. Johnson's Path of the Masters, which was published back in 1939. Mm-hmm. What a fortuitous both,
1: coincidence. There you
2: go. And then I'm and i I'm reading the book called The Far Country, which is the most plagiarized of any of Twitchell's books. Mm-hmm. And I started looking. You, know, you notice one paragraph. Mm-hmm. Now you're on the detective search. It's like, oh, cool. Yeah. There's more paragraphs. There's more. So I found 400 paragraphs that were plagiarized. <laughs> they, by the way, to Ekencar's credit, they have now withdrawn that book. You cannot get it. Which a book is it? Far Country.
1: Uh, I will get it, but yeah, okay. You, you can get it. as
0: used, you know, Amazon, yeah. but it's they don't republish it.
1: Okay. Excuse me while I uh, pull <laughs> yeah. out my phone and order that book.
0: In the meantime, there's so much to unravel with Paul Twitchell. You mentioned his disputed birth date. Even yes. that you can't get a solid answer that, on. Well,
2: here's my, my theory. Okay. And you guys can tell me if it's mistaken. Paul Twitchell gets married to his first wife in the 1940s. Everything goes good, but apparently, you know, he's probably a womanizer of some sort. And, and in 1955, he leaves her. He gets kicked out of the Church of, of Monism, of Absolute Monism, which is kind of like a branch of Self-Realization Fellowship founded by Paramahansa Yogananda. Oh, mm-hmm. so we he spend runs, time he, with he them. There joins you them. Go. Right. There you go. So and
1: there?
2: what happens at this stage is he leaves his wife. She files for divorce on grounds of desertion. You know, he, he deserted her. And he meets his new wife. Now, let's play this out. This is probably 1962, 63. So Twitchell is probably 50 or so. Okay. His wife is 20.
1: <gasps> this is Abigail.
2: No, this is Gail Atkinson. Gail right. Atkinson. That's, that's, right. Right. Gail that's right. Gail Atkinson Twitchell. She later marries the second living egg master. Right. we we'll into detail there. <laughs> yeah. So okay, this is my suspicion. He goes to the library. The guy's broke. You know. I don't know if you know this. At the time in the early 60s, he's a part-time writer He's got no money. How, mu- how do we know this? Because he borrows $300 from her and she's only 20, 21 years old. Sure. Oh, wow. So Jeez. when he meets her, okay, he's 50. Now, how's that going to play out if you like somebody who's 20? So I suspect lie. he then BSs, which guys too typically do. And I Whoa! Think, this is news. And so, yeah, there you go. Is oh, it? we've gone way too far. <laughs> oh, no. now that's it's conspiracy like the theory. <laughs> like, guys lie. Come on,
0: you're going way the, too far. He might have a higher propensity <laughs> than even the average guy. <laughs> that's right. There you go. To fudge it, you know? fabulate. I,
2: uh, so, I suspect he comes up with a 1922 date in order to shave off. So he's like 30. He's doing like a Jack Benny. I'm 39, kind of. thing. Right. And that's my. And that's why. That's why she puts it on his death certificate that he died. You know. 1922. He also, in an interview with the Seattle Post Intelligencer, indicates that he was a lot younger than he was. And I think he did that for her as well.
0: But then you have like earlier records of him getting into school when he is born in 1912. That's right. But then you have like a family record that shows him being born in 1910.
2: Yeah, we have have 1908, 1909, 1910, (laughs) 1911, and 1912. And the church has a different date. That's right. The Library of Congress puts 1908. Mm-hmm. However, to the credit of an ekist, uh, Doug Marmon, he's a, kind of the apologist, but kind of a scholarly kind of guy. He's written a good book called The Whole Truth, which is really against me, but it's, it's a good book. He's got good information. <laughs> and he, th- I think he's right. I think it's 1909. As far as we can tell, it's 1909. Okay.
1: Oh, oh he's an Eckist and he admits- He's an Eckist, okay. but he's
2: trying to, he's a real good apologist. Like he's okay. Like, kind of, you know, he's like, no, but Twitchell, okay, okay, Twitchell didn't really go to India, but maybe he did it spiritually, you know, that kind of
1: stuff. <laughs> right, right. Okay. So you wrote this really beautiful passage that I want to read that- If you wrote this when you were twenty twenty one, then I can't imagine what you are writing right now. It's so well put. Really?
2: Uh, Yeah. It might be plagiarized. We to find out. (laughs)
1: Okay, here it is. So it's it's about Paul Twitchell, and you say, "I have endeavored to view Twitchell's life not as one of the master or as the charlatan, but rather to reduce the master to a mortal and to lift the charlatan to a man."
2: Yeah, I did. I remember that.
1: Do you remember writing oh, yeah, that? Were you 20, yeah. 21? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Goodness, <laughs> David. Well, you know
2: what you know what it was. I think on one level I was sympathetic to Eckist. Yeah. Because here you you're to take this guy. They thought he was the living master You know, nine hundred and seventy living Eckmasters all the way back to Gacko from Venus. Yeah, six wrong, million years yeah, ago. Yeah, or yeah. In the city of Retz on the, on the I didn't know there was a city there, but um, <laughs> so what happened was I didn't. I felt bad because you know I knew James Peoples. He was an mm-hmm. Eckist, nice guy. And Eckist, as you probably noticed when you went to the seminar, when they chant Hugh and mm-hmm. they're kind of sweet and nice and benign. and so I just didn't want to you know crash them too bad.
1: Yeah. yeah. well, yeah, tell us about that. Tell us about the charlatan versus the man. Where's the sympathetic part of well, Paul Twitchell? Well look
2: as I talked to Paul Twitchell's first wife and she said Paul was a seeker his whole life. you know he you know he became a press agent. Elwin Hubbard at Scientology. Mm-hmm. He joined the Catholic Church. Got initiated by Kripal Singh. He sounds like us. He's joining everything. Yeah, he joined he's, every yeah, exactly. Religion. But he, you know, but he's really seeking, searching, or whatever. And uh, my suspicion is the reason he found Zakhnukar is not only is he broke, but his wife Gail is very ambitious, and she says you got all this knowledge. Do something with it. You know, why rely on these Indian guys who have the vegetarian requirements and celibacy and all sorts of things where you could just give the teachings into America? And it was the 60s, which was kind of an open-ended, you know, be creative. So so I have a sympathy for Paul Twitchell in that sense. Mm-hmm.
0: And how long and how closely was he interacting with L. Ron Hubbard?
2: Well, as far as we can tell, Jay Gordon Melton, you may have heard of him. He's like the world's best expert on cults. He's set up the Encyclopedia of American Religion and Things. He's a great guy. He did some research because he's in connection with Scientology. Him and James R. Lewis had done a book on Scientology. I think it was sponsored even by Scientology to get more academic uh, respectability. And he figures that he was associated with uh, Scientology from like 1956. 1950s- Six to like 59.
1: Yeah, pretty short time. Yeah, short
2: time. He was his press agent. He wrote articles for him. We have published articles in Ability and other things like that. And so I, my suspicion is he becomes clear. You know, apparently he was announced clear in Scientology. But back in the 50s... That used to happen a lot faster. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot quicker. You know, now it's a lot
0: harder. Yeah, so. these are still the fairly early days of Scientology. Right. Some of the early works are still being written.
1: And, of course, back then being clear was you're all done. Now being clear means you've barely started on the bridge, bridge. to total freedom. That's
2: right, because you got... For previous lives you don't even know about when you were the slave for Cleopatra. You gotta work that out. Yeah.
0: But I, I see so many clear huh, <laughs> ties between him and L. Ron Hubbard just in terms of their life stories. Do you think he was singularly inspired by Elron Hubbard that, oh, I can kind of synthesize my own
2: You know, that's a I really good said. question and I suspect you're right. On one level, because he sees how successful Elrond does. Because you remember, he starts Dianetics in 50. Right. And he doesn't expect to start a religion. It's Mm -hmm. only when he gets kiboshed by the American Psychological Association that he has to form this Scientology in 54, 55. Right. And he forms his own religion. I suspect you're right. I'm sure that's an influence.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I feel like I see, I do see a lot of Scientology in there, especially in that one book he writes about walking with um, um, yeah. you, rubber Tars. Rubber Tars. Thank you, rubber tires. Rubber tires. <laughs> <laughs> tires. <laughs> That's much easier to th- say. Thank you. He's walking with rubber tires. It's a little tiny booklet. It's maybe 25 pages. Anyway, in it, he talks about the eight dynamics of life. And mm-hmm. I was right. like, this is directly crib. Exactly. But other times I see more self-realization felt. Fellowship, just in the structure of the religion, this idea that you pay in a, a you know modest fee every year or month and you get just the leader's entire thoughts for that month printed out for you. Yes, Yeah, it really reminds yeah. me of that, SRF. That makes sense
2: because he was in it for five years on the SRF-associated group. The other thing is that we think the biggest influence was Kirpal Singh mm-hmm. because he gets initiated by Kirpal Singh in 55. Why I think this is that in 1963, when Kirpal Singh comes to San Francisco, he brings his Gail. he brings his wife to get initiated. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, and that's eight-year association at least, you know.
0: And can you tell us more about Kirpal Singh? Yeah,
2: Kirpal Singh was, founded a group called Ruhani Satsang in 1948, or 51 to be precise. He was initiated by a guru named Sawan Singh who's part of the Radha Swami movement. And there's all of these different branches. So what happened in 1948 after Sawan Singh died, Kirpal Singh thought he was a successor, but he wasn't appointed. So he goes to Delhi, founds his own group, becomes, you know, pretty popular. And he practices this thing called Shabit Yoga. The argument is there's different regions of consciousness. Mm, you know, five That's where you get those multiple exactly, levels. Exactly, oh, Actually and, eight different regions. And so what happens, you get initiated into this thing called the five names, these little five name mantra. And you do it over and over again. And you try to see inner light and hear this inner sound and right. follow that sound and light to its terminal source, which is like a Nami Purush or Swami. Well, Twitchell takes all of that stuff, adds a couple more regions. Mm-hmm. And it's like, hey, let's mm-hmm. make this a little better and ends it with Sumad, right. which is the highest of things.
0: And there's a relationship there to Sikhism.
2: Yes, what happens and a lot of people get this confused because you know this is kind of my forte. A lot of people think that Swami comes from Sikhism, but it's not really true. What it really is true, and there's a wonderful book, by the way, by Mark Jurgensmar, he's a professor at UC Santa Barbara called Swami Reality. It's really the only great objective study of the group. Mm. I say this, I was his research assistant, so I'm a little biased. But it's Princeton <laughs> University Press, 1991. But the point, that's the reason I went to India on that trip. But the point on this one, so Sikhism and Radha come out from an earlier tradition called Sant tradition or Satmat. Satmat, yeah. That's right. And that tradition is kind of a loosely eclectic group of Nirguna Bhakti poets, like people like Kabir, Namdev. And, and so what happens is Sikhism comes out of that fertilizer. Same thing with Satmat now the problem is they look so similar
0: mm. that people think But they're cousins. They're cousins. Very good. It's like when uh, creationists mm-hmm. asked, so why are there yeah, still yeah. monkeys? Oh, that's, <laughs> <right>. <laughs> that's good. I know we've left the topic of Paul Twitchell's birth yes. year, but many in the church also give a different date of eighteen twelve.
2: That's right. This is what now this is a good issue raised. I was invited after Eckankar got a copy of my term paper, they hired a business consultant. To see what kind of damage it was going to cause. Now they, they had invited me to their Eckenkar center up in Menlo park, you know, nice, you know, nice building and they expected some, you know, academic guy. And I'm like 21, <laughs> you know, I have a turtleneck, you know, slaps, looks like some surfer dude. And they're like, who the fudge is this guy? And so what they did is the Bill Popham at the time told me, no, you got it all wrong. Twitchell was born. In 1812, or mm-hmm. and I go, What? And I go, you go, You you haven't taken us seriously. I go, How can I take that seriously? <laughs> right, because it
1: would make him what? Yeah, a, like, a yeah well, because he's Pedar something.
2: you know, because Paul's right. got that spiritual name, so apparently, after that earthquake in 1812, he manifest and
0: yeah, Pedar yeah, 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 right. okay, so, amazing,
1: yeah, I love. That you would, to try to explain away this inconsistency in his birth dates, just explain it with something even more absurd.
0: Yeah. Did he then, as a 100-year-old, go to live with his parents and pretend to be born?
2: I I, I have no idea. And that's why (laughs) with— No, we need
1: you to explain this. Right, right.
2: Well, the very reason I put it in there is because of Bill Popham. He was the one who was mad at me for not putting the 1812 date in.
1: Oh, wow.
2: Yeah. So it wasn't even my idea. I wasn't trying to like bash the guy. I go, okay, I'll throw it in
1: there. Sure. Yeah. This isn't going to paint you in the light. You think it will, That's but right. I will include the information. Trying
0: to steel man his argument, present right. the best version of it.
1: Now, one of my favorite pieces of history in your book that I didn't even know about until I read this is that Twitchell originally said he had a five-year... Plan So a five-year mission. And then as those five years were nearing a close, he suddenly got a message from the masters that actually it's 10 years. And then two or three years into that second five-year term, he dies unexpectedly. And now his widow has to pick, oh, who's the next deck master? And man, that's such a wild story. So do you think that her appointment of Darwin Gross, do you think that's sort of how they were able to erase Darwin Gross from the narrative? Because, oh, he was appointed by the widow instead of by Paul?
2: Uh, interesting question. Let me say a couple scandalous things. Okay. That's probably never been recorded, but I will say, because oh, I have this on. Can't on wait. I have this from great sources. What happened with that year plan, you know, five years, 10 year plan? It was a way to entice people to be the next successor of Eckenkar. Ah. So it got people thinking, oh, I might be the next guy or yeah. I might be the next guy. I know this because John Roger Hinkins, who was a member of Akincar, even though he denied it, uh, founded this group called Messiah, MSIA, Movement for Spiritual Inner Awareness. And yes. he's the one Ariana Huffington followed. He's a pretty famous guy. And he told me that he showed up in Las Vegas in 1971 because he thought he was going to be the next Eckankar master.
1: Oh, OK. Yeah.
2: And you know, so wow. there's all this interesting stuff. So that was part of it. Uh-huh. The, the other part of it is is that in when he dies, well, as you perhaps know, he died in very uh, weird circumstances. He was found by a woman who is not his wife. Yes, who shows up at his hotel door at one o'clock in the morning because she wanted to have the darshan of the living Eckmaster. I guess at one in the morning.
1: I have darshan's the, a fun the, the term doctor, for that. Uh, uh,
2: Louis Bluth, who eventually became the president of Eckengar. And, of course, he left later, told me that he had to clean up the room (gasps) for various items related to certain kinds of what I could say private activities.
1: So, condoms. Or or maybe BDSM or something. Other stuff.
2: I I can't say on – because I don't know exactly what – but he inferred certain things.
1: Semen oh no no
0: no <laughs> maybe implements the- I,
1: yes very
2: good see he's thinking like a guy. sex toys yeah there you go sex something toys. something like that but i don't know we, oh, again we want to be careful i'm uh-huh. just talking about what dr louis Bluth told sure me, but right, what i'm
0: coming we'll up leave with. that in the realm of speculation
2: That's right. pure speculation
1: i guess what i'm asking is was he specific with you about what they were
0: Yes, but ah, I, well,
1: I, okay.
0: I, I, uh, but he
2: says he, he tried to clean it up, right? Uh-huh. She's there, and then she just claims that she was just there for whatever reason. She, I don't think she's ever admitted publicly. Sure. At the same time, I am told, we'll have to double check this, Gail was with Darwin Gross on a camping trip.
0: Oh, so there was already... Oh, there was,
2: uh, it's obvious. It's obvious for anybody with a brain in their head that knows that something's going Just on Just for there. the
1: people who are still trying to follow along and keep these names right. straight, Gail was Paul Twitchell. Twitchell's wife. That's right. And now she's on a camping right. trip with Darwin, Darwin Gross. Gross. Well, at least
2: that's re- reported.
0: And for yeah. those who have eyes to see, they can already tell that there's something well, going on with, between because them. Because
2: within a month, right, she appoints Darwin Gross because she has a vision that, you know, Twitchell said that he's the next... Well, of course, then they get married a few months later. And right.
0: Carrie told me this today. That Darwin Gross had only been in Eckankar for two years at that point. Oh yeah, very rare. I mean, maybe two years,
2: maybe three years at max.
0: So that he's ready for a second initiation, yeah, right?
2: right. I mean, he wasn't very. You're right. And so what happened in his the initiations case, were they much immediately rushed this guy up to a higher level. Now some people claim he was already a fifth initiate. I think Doug Marmon in his recent book has tried to claim that. That's fine, but he hadn't been in very long. Mm-hmm. Now he marries Gail, Okay, and he's a notorious womanizer. So eventually they get divorced in 1978. Which causes a major stir. And she, she sells back the copyright to every Paul Twitchell book. She gets a half a million dollars settlement from Eccancourt for that reason. Oh, wow. Now, here's a little interesting thing. My friend in high school, Ann Arnold, when she, Gail had divorced Darwin, her dad was married.
1: Gail's the, dad or your friend My Ann? friend
2: Ann Arnold, her dad, was having an affair with Gail after Darwin. Thing. This is a weird thing. Wow, Gail,
1: Gail was busy. Gail gets
2: around. Gail's a busy woman, and she would have been fun they to had talk dinner to. together, and Ann Arnold's like 21 at the time. They're all sitting around the table, and she, she says, well, yeah, I used to be associated with a group called Atkin Car. And Ann asked her, she says, well, what about it? She goes, the thing is a fraud, uh. which is really weird for her to say. She'll later deny it, but that's, hmm. that's, that was reported to me when I was like 22, 23 years old.
1: Now, Gail has passed away, correct? I don't know. She... You know. I
2: don't live, she, oh, I know perfect. she lives in the desert. As far as I remember, she was very wealthy. Okay. And she, I think she married again with somebody who had some money. And I think
1: she might still be alive. But she'd be in, what, her 90s? Uh, let's play that out. Hold on. But that's true. She oh, was well, much she, younger. But she was much younger. Much mm-hmm. younger.
2: So she would be probably. So probably 80s?
1: born in like the 30s. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Carrie's on the job. <laughs> very interesting. Oh, no,
2: hold on. She would have been. No, actually, she'd be younger than that. She would have been born like 1940. She was about twenty when she meets her. Twenty.
1: Oh, right, she was thirty years yeah, younger so than 60, then. he. Yeah, so I was already 70, buying eight. his version of the She's probably in the late
2: seventies or early eighties. Okay.
0: Okay. Fascinating. Going back to his death. Obviously, the church would say that he translated. That's right. But do they agree that he died of a heart attack? Yes. Well, I mean,
2: it's it's on it's, its death certificate. That's non-controversial.
0: But I mean, we've seen other groups who do lie about the means of death or try to obviously, yeah, yeah, that. yeah. yeah.
2: Of course, they'll say it was his time. You know, in
1: fact, the, or it but, was a Mahasamadhi.
0: You're right, right. Like with exactly. Paramahansa Yogananda, it was meant
2: to be, He had the transition, his work was done. Kind
0: of Speaking of which, Kerry mentioned that he had that kind of five-year plan before he was going to pass on to a successor. Do you think he was planning something like a Mahasamadi that he would die on command, like Paramahansa Yogananda no, did? No, no. I Nothing just
2: like I that. just think it was a way to get people kind of excited about who's going to be the next one.
0: Okay.
1: So do you think he always plans to then around the five year mark say, Oh, I just got a new message. I'm supposed to do another five you know what? five I more bet years? You
2: he was shocked that Ekankar took off.
1: Here's uh, a guy right. with no
2: money right. starts in 65 he meets like three people in Long Beach you know they go to these little seminar this thing just goes off in a way he probably didn't expect.
1: So that reminds me of a certain president who I think didn't want to be president <laughs> and then suddenly uh oh, shall crap. not be
2: mentioned. Yeah.
1: Yeah, <laughs> interesting.
0: Yeah, not having the long-term plans That's in right. mind. And it, this always fascinates me about the groups that we join is that you have this initial person With a certain set of uh, abilities, such as an L. Ron Hubbard or a Paul Twitchell, and they've now passed away, and yet so many people, thousands of people are continuing on in their tradition. Yes. And it's just the oddest thing to me, that they were doing something that, to my light, seemed very self-focused, but now they're gone, and it continues on without them.
2: That's Right. Yeah. In fact, you can make the argument that that's how religions evolve. I mean, any, Max Weber, the very famous sociologist, made the argument called the routinization of charisma. Somebody charismatic, like let's say L. Ron Hubbard or Twitchell, I don't know how charismatic they were. When they die, the followers want to bottle up that charisma. Mm-hmm. And they all have different interpretations. Right. So you have all these different offshoots that branch off. I mean, the history of religion is somebody dies. You get 10 new
1: religions out of it. Right. Oh, right. It's like cutting a worm up. That's right.
0: We've talked about uh, on our podcast, we call it the veil of time. You know, with Joseph Smith, we do have some contemporary accounts. We can know of things that he did in his lifetime. But then you go back to, say, Jesus Christ or, you know, one of those, uh, Paul, you know, one of these early founders, you don't have all of that ancillary material.
2: Well, I made an argument in my class. I said, if you read the four gospels, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in a lateral way, and you said, I'm just going to read this for biography. Like, how much do you know about Jesus? Mm-hmm. You find out you know more about your next door neighbor than you know about <laughs> Jesus in terms of biographical right. information. Yeah. yeah, So you can romanticize it. And you can believe a lot easier that things happened in the past. You know, Moses went saw a burning bush and, mm-hmm. and all sorts of things. But when it gets closer in time. Even then, however, you're on the right track, yeah. even with Joseph Smith. There's a wonderful book you probably know by Fon Brody called No Man Knows My yes. History, right. mm-hmm. which is really a wonderful book. It is. And you find out you, know, you have 50 different wives and all sorts of things, and it all gets covered up, and people just don't want to know their history. When yeah. it comes to religion, people would rather bypass their brain to go directly to their
1: heart. I think that's often the case. Coming back to the allegation of plagiarism, it's really interesting. I I think now you couldn't pull this off, right? Because with the internet, we can cross-check everything. So do you... I imagine you think uh that Paul Twitchell never thought this would all be that anyone could ever retrace this, that's right? That's
2: a very, very astute observation because you're right, with the internet today, especially with Google search, you can catch almost anything. Yeah. And that's why, you know. So let's think that through. Okay, we got Paul Twitchell, it's sixty-five, he's got this obscure book, Path of the Masters, you know, a couple thousand copies. Probably, you know, how many people are following Radha in America? Mm-hmm. Maybe two, three hundred. And he's thinking, you know, I'll just take this section and, you know, massage it this way and I'm never going to get caught. Right. And he's also probably, the other argument could be made is he has to produce new material all the time to generate money.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah. What's a fellow to do? That's right.
2: So he opens <laughs> up these books. You know, Dr. Louis Bluth told me. And in fact, he's in a letter to me. He said, I gave him a copy of Path of the Masters. And so he says, I knew he was plagiarizing. And I even confronted him about it. And he simply says, well, I'm just trying to get the message out. Uh-huh. See, a lot of people try to think. The other argument, I don't know if you heard this one. This is the best one.
1: Oh, I think I know the, what you're going to say. Yes. But please do. The
2: golden temple of wisdom is yes. on some uh, higher astral plane. <laughs> See, what happens is these good authors like Julian Johnson, uh-huh. Paul Brunton from Search and Secret India and others, what they do is they go to these libraries, pull off a book, I guess, and then copy these golden wisdom down to us in the earthly plane. So they're not really plagiarizing he from each other. He just got it from the source.
0: That's it. As did they before he did. Yes.
1: And you point out this point in the book that I wrote next to it. I'm trying to find it. Oh, yeah, I wrote. Fucking brilliant! Uh, <laughs> that if this is true, then that means that Paul isn't the original author, which means everyone can recopy all of Paul Twitchell's materials oh, without really? a copyright That's claim.
2: Right, because it's it copyrighted only on the Astroplane, not here at the library. Of right. Congress. So Try to enforce that one. Yeah.
1: So I want to encourage all our listeners: make your own Paul Twitchell materials. Oh, See what happens. That's good. me, Carrie Poppy, saying that. Yeah, not yeah. Uh, this not reminds Professor me. Lane.
0: This reminds me of many of the early church fathers being confronted with. Like Mithra sculptures that showed something very much like the nativity scene, Mm -hmm. but predating Christ. And them saying that, oh, well, the devil gave them that information in advance. Somehow he knew.
2: Really? (laughs) That would cause doubts in people's minds. So so I'm going to do this. Right.
0: So so that's why the chronology looks askew there. I see. That this looks derivative. It's actually the original, but Satan was just trying to lead people astray.
2: Yeah. That leads to the interesting point about Paul Twitchell's cover. The biggest thing I've always felt was not the plagiarism. The biggest thing was he claimed he'd gone to India in the 1930s and studied yeah, under a guy named Sudar Singh. And he – well, he never did. He just made it up. Well, mm-hmm. these are cover names. Sudar Singh is a cover name mostly for Karpal Singh. Uh a is a cover name maybe for Swami Pramananda and Elra a host of people that he actually knew. Right. And I, my suspicion is he does this to invent this beautiful mythology – so I have this tradition that bypasses Rattaswami's Sikhism and all these other people because we're the original thing,
1: yeah.
2: And that really bothers people the most, I suspect, because they thought, "Hey, wait, he was, was this Sudar Singh is a real person." Well, there's no Sudar Singh,
1: right? He doesn't exist. So another ruse you couldn't really pull off today. You'd just go. Google that name, right? Well,
2: yes and no. Because what happens is there's a guy named Sudarshan Singh. So some people might say, take off the the Darshan part, it's really Sudar. And Uh. and other people claim, well, he was obscure and hidden. and Well, Qinghai. I don't know if you ever heard of Qinghai. She runs these Mm -hmm. restaurants called Loving Hut.
1: Oh, of course. Uh, Supreme Master. Supreme Master Qinghai. Well,
2: you guys perhaps don't know, but she was initiated by Takar Singh, who was a disciple of Kripal Singh. It all goes back to these things. Wow. She denied it. There's good reasons why. Takar Singh was pretty much of a scuzzbag kind of guru thing. And she was one of his representatives. Oh. And if you look at her diary, for instance, it's exactly like Takar Singh's. Ex- in fact, it's the exact same thing. So, what does she do? She claims that she got initiated by some obscure Himalayan master that she doesn't name.
1: Ah.
0: So
2: that's a convenient how you cover, cover. and just
0: yeah. hopes you'll stop asking questions that's after right. that. Well, she did. She kicked
2: out two of my students in one of her seminars because <gasps> they were followers of Chingai, and they came to me and I said, "Well, you know, she was initiated by Takar Singh. We have documentation. I just ask her."
1: Uh, I it out.
0: Wow. wow. Eesh. As I'm reading the Shariat Ki Sukmad, okay. their the holy book, holy book, which claims to be the oldest spiritual tradition on earth, that claims to be older than the Hindu Vedas, it's talking about Christianity. And that just seems like such a glaring, obvious plot error. (laughs) Right. Is there any explanation from the Eckes about this, why this book would be talking about Judaism, let alone Christianity?
2: You know, I've never heard any Eckes try to explain it away. Okay. I think think they don't investigate it that deeply. They just kind of
0: assume it's some holy
2: writings of their teacher. And maybe they don't read it so literally. You know, maybe okay. they just kind of take the message. And, Me and my
0: literal mind.
1: But Ross is saying this was supposed to predate Christianity. Of course, exactly. Yeah. Of course. It okay. makes no sense at all. <laughs> yeah. I mean,
2: what also doesn't make any sense is that Gakko <laughs> lived on Venus. Well, sure. You can't live on Venus. It's a little too hot.
0: Right. It came to Venus. Uh,
2: yeah,
1: but I don't know if that seems... Maybe it's a
0: spiritual thing. Oh, and, in... and the scripture is also talking about the Lemurians and Atlantis. Right.
1: I know those things are technically as absurd, but... <laughs> But
0: there's orders of manga. Yeah,
1: there's something just even more denying reality about not agreeing that (laughs) that B.C. came before A.D. Right. Yeah. This should have
0: nothing to say about Buddhism. And yet it's in there.
1: Yeah. Right. Maybe. Okay. so now I'm just trying to think, like, well, what would they say if they're in the room? I'm guessing it would be. Well, they go – maybe they talk to Jesus in the ethereal realm. He wasn't in his body yet.
2: Or maybe it's prophetic. You know, maybe because uh, right. the start of has the higher ast- – it sees all t- – there's a book called Talions of Time by Paul Twitchell, yeah. which talks about the ability to master time. So maybe, just maybe, you know, when he, he got this golden wisdom information,
0: he saw the and it just didn't make any sense to people 6,000 years ago. What are you talking about? Right.
1: Definitely read Talents of Time if you want to get some pure unadulterated sexism, too. A lot of cool stuff about how women are just responders and cold <laughs> and heartless. Very cool. Very uh, cool book.
0: What was that comic that you got?
1: Yeah, that was the graphic version of Talons of Time. Oh, okay. yeah. And they did yeah. the graphic version mm-hmm. of Tiger's
2: Fang.
0: Oh, oh well. yeah,
1: yeah. Both yeah. of those. And, which
2: is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. You know, the funny thing, here's another related thing. If you ever see the early covers of Paul Twitchell's books, like Tiger's Fang, there's like a little ship going off into the sea. It's an early edition. The woman who did that was Diane Stanley. And she eventually contacted me and she left
0: the group.
1: And, oh, wow.
2: Yeah, she left the group. And then she joined some other, you know. Group. Sure. Yeah, that's how it for works.
1: <laughs> you got to find somewhere to go. Right.
0: Yeah. In the comic version, it mentioned MEST, you know, matter, energy, space, time. Right. Yeah. Scientology. And it was just so...
1: Not even trying, Paul.
0: Yeah. Like Carrie finding the eight dynamics. At this point, do you know of Eckenkar having scrubbed a lot of these obvious references to other...
2: Well, this is a good point you make. And we'll go to Darwin Gross as well because they've scrubbed all his books. Well, he didn't really write anything. A couple books. That was it. What Harold Klimp has done, which is somewhat clever... Is he's written so much, so many books. I don't know if you've noticed that. Oh, it's all clamped. Yes. And it's it just, <laughs> it, it, there are probably transcriptions of his talks and things mm-hmm. like that. So it's prolific. So that Twitchell has really gone to the background.
1: Mm-hmm. And yep. so
2: they, they scrubbed out Far Country. They don't republish certain books. I don't even know if they republish Letters to Gale or not. And so what they've done is they've minimized Twitchell. And so the one book I think everybody reads of Twitchell is probably The Tiger's Fang. The other stuff, they kind of just – the Sharia Kisu though, you're right. And they have cleaned it up. Darwin Gross, one of his – he was the second living Eckmaster, just so everybody knows. Darwin Gross was appointed. And and then what happened to him after he got divorced from his wife, he wanted to retire. He didn't want to work is what happened. And so in 1981, he appoints Harold Clamp, who was working at the print office, who he thought he could control. Hmm. And so he appoints Harold Clamp as the living Eckmaster where Darwin Gross retains the higher title of Mahanta.
1: Mm. But
2: two years later... Clamp feels oh. like he's not being respected enough. And I'm sure there's some collusion with other people at the higher office. And they excommunicate Darwin Gross. Right. Because he was embezzling millions of dollars over to this corporation up in Oregon. Hmm. Okay. And
1: I thought that was alleged but never confirmed. It's that... pretty much confirmed. Okay.
2: Because I have the docu- I actually have the documentation for his, the, what he did. Okay. The, for his money and stuff. Because he, they actually – this is an ironic twist. At one point, Darwin wanted me to be an expert – witness for his trial against oh. Acting car, even oh, though yikes. he wanted to, you know, it was just a weird <laughs> situation. And so in that case, really what Darwin wanted to do was just retire, get $70,000 a year back in 1981, have a car. Yeah. Medical insurance uh-huh. have the title of Mahanta, but not show up to these seminars and have everybody bugging them.
1: All right, the it, professor emeritus it, of That's Carr. That, as it, as, yeah.
0: as we've said on the podcast, it's good to be the Mahanta because you get credited for so much work that you don't have to do. You do,
2: and, but Clamp, uh, this you know, they really nailed him, and he could no longer use the car terminology. He could, he got sued over using terms like Viragi and things like that, mm. and so Darwin. Kind of sadly, I think you know the story, he, gets real, he loses everything, yeah. has no money, works at a music shop selling like drums oh. and stuff. And oh, wow. Well.
0: When does he start Adam then?
2: Well, he starts Adam, his friends like Bernadine, Berlin and mm-hmm. other people that are close with him started this group, but this was like nothing. I mean, nobody was joining it. His uh, books were kind of like It still Chico technically copy. exists,
1: but it seems like it's yeah, one or two Yeah, was dead in
2: water. And I saw, as you may have read that article by Dodie Bellamy, she's a... San Francisco reporter flew down to San Diego. She used to be a member of Eckenkar, and she defected. And so she writes this cover story for the San Diego Reader about how she defected and how I led her out of the group, or whatever. Really nice woman, but we go to see wow. Darren Gross yeah. at one of his little seminars, and you know he's playing the tones. He's really good, he nice music, and everything. Mm-hmm. And there's like fifty people. Great Very really sad, you know. And she goes up to him, and he says this great quote. He says, "Eckenkar treated me like shit." <laughs> this was the whippy neck master. <laughs> right. Echegor treated me like shit. So it was kind of a tragic story.
1: About oh, my wow. My favorite detail in that story is that when he was ousted, he said, no, wait, wait, wait. I just got a message from the masters and they said that Harold was supposed yeah, exactly. to be ousted and I am supposed to be That's the master it. and yes. no one bought it. you
0: wanted to retain that role because yeah. he wanted the money. Is what he wanted. It's really but, tough when only one person can go up the mountain and talk to the burning bush.
1: Right. That's right. That's oh, right. Yeah. And then when you have every truth being revealed in people's private dream states and in their daydreams as well. I mean, no
0: wonder there's all these offshoots.
1: Yeah. And how do you track what's actually going on? You know, I could just say, oh, I suddenly got a message from God. And he says, you're not supposed to work at this college anymore. OK, how do you balance that against the visions right. Ross gets or That's the right. visions That's you right. get? Right. Well,
2: you know, you're on something. I've always thought that Eckenkar was very clever about telling people that your spiritual initiations will happen in dreams or you'll have spiritual right. experiences. Because just imagine, you know, all of a sudden you join Ekincar, you read all this stuff about Artars or whatever. And you start seeing these guys. Sure. Yeah. In fact, I just was on a uh, an interview from this really unusual group called Dwayne the Great Writer. You got to check this on the internet.
1: It's- Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Got it.
2: No, no, no. <laughs> the Dwayne the Great Writer. That's his name. Okay. It's he's in Huntington Beach, and he's a surfer. Uh-huh. And they believe that Reptar Tar like shows up to your house,
1: like oh, he's wow. in physical form. <laughs> I'm like
2: going – really I hope going. there's
1: just a guy walking around doing that. I kind of yeah. want to
0: dress up as Rebber's <laughs> Yeah,
1: and <right>. now.
2: <laughs> and so, I mean, that's another offshoot, right? Because uh-huh. of dreams. Yeah. Like this woman was kind – of, I saw him in my – you know, not even my dreams. It's a vision or
0: – And you you don't need to do anything to sustain that. Once you plant that idea, yeah, yeah. it's and he, and he self-sustaining. Doesn't
2: exist. In fact, there's a great tape of Paul Twitchell. Somebody asked him about Rebber's Art Tars. And you can hear him on the tape. He forgets who the guy is. Like he's been making oh. all these names up. You know, ah. <laughs> Bobby Quants. I, goes, Quants oh, Bobby is my Quants my favorite. Reverson. Yeah, well, let me think about that for a second.
1: Right. Oh, yeah. It's classic. Oh, my <laughs> he's God. He's just making
2: this stuff
1: up. Yeah. And he must have fun. Right. Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah, Fubi is my favorite fake name. Oh, I love Fubi Fu- so In good. fact, my
2: friend and I, that's how we used to call each other. Ah. this is Fubi on the phone. <laughs> oh, hi, Gax. Is how it Fubi? I thought it was Fubi. Well, it depends. You know, an echo. call... I don't know. I, I, oh, okay.
0: Let's ask it. him. You're ruining this for <laughs> I, <know, laughs> I know. Let's <laughs> ask him how Fuby. he says his name. Fuby. I'm
1: getting a message. In, it's Fubi. My... <laughs> Fubi.
2: Wait, wait, wait. You're right. Yeah, it's It's been confirmed on the afternoon.
1: If I may read you to you again, okay. you say this on page 108, you say, how can Gross's exodus be properly explained without usurping the very foundation of Ekankar's belief system? How can a living Ekmaster, who allegedly has access to the very highest plane of consciousness, get thrown out of Eckankar and not even be considered an initiate? Or, more bluntly, how can God be dethroned? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I mean, it's
2: really, it, 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 it caused a huge problem. You can imagine. Oh, theologically, among that the is members. Major And that's problem. why a lot of them broke off. Like there's a guy named Gary Olson who founded a group called Masterpath. Pretty popular, actually. Mm-hmm. And he offshoots from that point. The guy named Jerry Mulvin, he does another offshoot. Definitely right after Darwin gets excommunicated. Mm. That opens the door. The floodgates open
0: up. Yeah, because what's to stop anybody from saying,
2: "Oh, I just got a message." Right, right. And they they don't really like Harold Clamp because Harold Clamp. Sorry, Harold, I got to say this. There used to be this diarrhea commercial back in the '80s, and you look like exactly (laughs) that guy. (laughs) You know, I mean, you just look like you're constipated. Things are happening, and but that's the problem. He's not very charismatic. That's one of the things that I've discovered with these cult leaders. A lot of them aren't charismatic at all. What it is is that you give them an elevated platform, put them on TV, give them a stage, you a chair, moving around, a blue suit or whatever, and people go, wow. People respect the office. But if you ever met this guy – you know, down down the street or at a restaurant, you go.
1: Well, I think also we're mostly talking about the later term leaders of these groups, right? Not the original founders. Even, but... but even the original, you know, that's a good,
2: uh, interesting, I may be right. I did a whole critique of my doctoral th- thesis in India and all that stuff about this idea because I kind of mm-hmm. critiqued Weber on this. Because Weber likes to say that charisma is this indefinable trait that certain human beings are gifted with. And I said, no, I don't necessarily buy it. I think a lot of it's socially constructed. Like even yeah. Paul Twitchell, if you listen to him on tape, he's pretty
1: like That's true. Am I That's right? true. I did you, I played you some audio and I was like, Yeah, he uh, he and, and Tree Harold kind I of have a similar tone. My
0: mind was actively filtering it out. And like uh-huh. I had to focus on what he was saying. Yeah, Right. Yeah, there was right. just like, nothing just not, about his voice. Right.
2: He's not like some people like Leonardo DiCaprio who does seem charismatic, right? Right. He just it doesn't seem to have it. But what happens is We project, you know, I'm not Freudian, he's a good novelist, a bad scientist, but Freud had a really good observation about transference. In Vienna, his patients would, after six months, project onto him. Mm. You're a good guy, you're better than my husband, or you're worse than my husband. And it was all their projection. Same thing happens in these spiritual groups. You project all sorts of stuff that's not there.
1: And we're all sort of borrowing each other's impressions. You know, if Ross says, um, oh, my friend oh, Craig yes, is a really good yes, guy, you know, awesome. my my default thought will yes. be like, oh, yeah, Ross said good guy. Great. Yeah, so good. if you have, you know, 10 or yes. 20, a thousand people saying this is an amazing person, your brain just oh, defaults it's unbelievable. to that position. If we
2: put a turban on either of you, right? Let's imagine. And okay. I said, you know, I came out, oh, my God, I've met the, the masters, you know, and all of a sudden I put you on, you know, you have a turban. Being blown by unseen winds, you know, third right. eye patch, flowing robe. And guess what?
0: All the expectations are set. They're, they're, in fact, yeah. we
2: did this thing called the Kripal A little controversial. I probably shouldn't have done it. But I had learned this secret technique on Shabbat Yoga you know, mm-hmm. about how to listen to the sound. And there's this guru, Kripal Singh, who claimed that he could give people an experience at the time of initiation of light and sound. Like, wow. And people oh, wow. go, God, he's got power. Yeah. I didn't buy it. I thought, wait a second. I bet you it's self-generated uh-huh. and people are attributing it to. Mm. It. So Good I'm thinking. teaching at a Catholic high school, 1984, University of San Diego High School. And I was teaching a death and dying class. I mean, people were dying to get into it. Whoa, yeah. It was a <laughs> bunch of deadbeats. Okay. Now, the point is, it's a Catholic school. You know how boring it is. It's 1.30 in the afternoon, You know, death and dying class. Yeah. So I said, guys, we're going to do something. I'm going to teach you this ancient shabby yoga technique, which nobody supposed. post. it's not very complicated. And I said, I just want to try an experiment. Yeah. I'm going to go around the room, turn the lights off, and we to touch you on the forehead, you know, like for a second, like he does. Yeah. And I want to know what the results are. And I had no idea. It turned out like 70% of my students said, I saw a light. I heard a sound. <gasps> what? And they, Dave, how Had was, you
1: told them that that might be the result? I, no, I hadn't. Okay. No, well, kind of. I okay. gave them,
2: not totally exactly, but you know, some parameters.
0: But now right. memories are getting modified. Right. And so
2: all of a sudden, one kid goes, are you a guru? I was going through a tunnel. And I saw your face at the end of a tunnel. I go, what the fudge? So I huh. did it to all my students at the university. Then I started teaching doctoral students at the California School of Professional Psychology back in the early 90s. So I did it on them. So I wrote this thing called the Kerpal Statistic. It's published in a book called Exposing Cults or whatever.
1: The Kirpal statistic. statistic. Okay. And
2: it's this idea that if you tell people that you're going to have this experience yes. of meditation, mm-hmm. or at least the potential of it, they generate it themselves. And then the, the right.
0: statistic is that some roughly 70% are going That's to- That's right,
2: know. are going to have it. If Now, watch. If I had you guys with turbans looking really good, I would suspect- the percentage would go higher. Sure. So I'm just some loser teacher at a high school. You know, they don't think anything of me, right? Some surfer and dude. I'm
1: tempted to have you do it to us, but I think we're already primed. See, that's to be right. See you too skeptical. Yeah. yeah. You
2: have to have like almost like when you're 17 or right. 18. But th-
0: totally. This is something that we're both very fascinated with, and that is like the physical correlates of the spiritual. Yes. You know, these things like when you get into a mantra state, you're chanting and mm-hmm. you're you you get lightheaded. Yes. Uh, or you know, I you, get
1: this trance thing where I go like this. If, right. This is a podcast. People can't see me doing this. <laughs> I'm like pivoting in as chair. if I'm using a hula hoop kind yes. of. Yeah. That happens to me if I get really caught in like a trance like sound.
0: Or or things like hypnagogic, hypnopompic oh, yeah. visions. You can see amazing things. It, or yeah. taking mushrooms or you know, whatever right. it may be that there is a real physical phenomena happening there. But then we extract this spiritual importance. And it seems like a lot of religions sort of anchor all of their claims just on those little moments of the body. Doing really strange. Oh, you know, definitely
2: things. on the right track. My wife and I had to give a talk in India at this Dialbog Educational Institute. We expected like to be 70 people, there were 10,000 people. It's like oh, wow. a full-on crowd. It was like unbelievable. But, but, we were talking about the neurobiological basis of sleep deprivation being related oh, to great. meditation. Yes, oh, it yes. It turns out that when you have... Now, from an evolutionary perspective, it makes sense. You go to sleep at night. You don't want your body to start going all around. It may fall off a cliff or whatever. It hit people. So your body secretes this chemical, right? It paralyzes it paralyzes it, right and paralyzes you. Right, more or less. And for most of us, it's, it's benign. Mm-hmm. But right. for some people, it becomes severe. What's sleep paralysis? Sleep paralysis, like yeah. They feel frozen. Well, the meditators in India, we suspect... The yogis go with that numbness instead of resisting it. You know, with people have sleep paralysis, they usually like fight it, get Mm. scared. They actually want to induce it. That's Mm -hmm. one of the acid tests of Shabbat yoga meditation. So what they do is they induce that chemical paralyzation, not understanding that it's neurological, neurobiological. Uh So I think you're right. I think they piggyback on what our body already does.
1: Oh, very interesting. interesting. Yeah. I definitely, with SRF, I remember thinking, okay, what you're describing is because you are not getting a lot of sleep. Because they would encourage people <laughs> right? to have only four hours of sleep a night.
0: Yogananda himself would talk about getting four or fewer four. hours of sleep. Yeah. yeah, and
2: if you do that enough, you'll actually literally see things Yeah, when you close your eyes and literally think it's real. Like,
0: David is pointing at his third eye. Yeah, third,
2: yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'm going inside now, Harold's channeling, but I, <laughs> you see an orange or whatever, and Yeah, you, and you'll think it's real. Yes. I had this student of mine here who had these out-of-body experiences and he would claim that at night he would, you know, travel and he goes, I can come to your office at night. I go, and he really believed it.
0: And you said "Cool, uh-huh. I left some numbers for you That's on my exactly
2: desk." That's exactly what I did. Yes, I good. put a phone number on my. I put my cell number on my wall. Great. I said, "When do you come in, give me a call as call. soon as you read." He wakes it. up the next morning. He comes the next morning. He's like kind of tired. He goes, "I think I called a couple bad numbers," <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and he kept doing it for over like a, like a four weeks. Real good kid. You
0: know, real, uh-huh. and ordered we, a bunch of pizzas, and it depressed the hell out of him because he thought <laughs> oh, it was really leaving yeah. the body. Yeah. But good for
1: him for being willing to That's test right. it. That's yeah. Right. yeah. 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 That's really good. Mm-hmm. Ross, I come to you in a dream, 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 dream. It's me, the Mahanta. Oh,
0: I'm in bed. I can't move. I don't have any <laughs> no, control. No, have
1: sleep paralysis. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> this is Carrie's, a lot, Car- lot, scarier than I intended. <laughs> Carrie's
0: showing up. What's happening?
1: <laughs> I'm the Mahanta now. Oh. I'm the living Eckmaster.
0: Oh my goodness. This is me. Yeah, so, I know. Boy, which initiation is this?
1: Eighteenth, yeah, eighteenth, yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, and what
0: do you get on the eighteenth initiation? I think it's something to do with clothing. You get right? a bra.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: it's like anniversaries, That's right? Every I, initiation, the first <laughs> one is paper.
1: <laughs> That's right. You get a bell and then paper. The sound of bees what? and then a, a bra on okay. the eighteenth.
0: Uh, I'm excited. What kind of bra do I? Yeah, get? Yeah, I'm
1: really. I'm sorry for like jumping backwards <laughs> in time to have this conversation, but I thought it was important. You know. Yeah. No, uh,
0: David will still be there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So you asked what kind of bra? Um, actually, it's a third love bra. Which which is, I mean, if they're going to give you a bra, like that's a really good one.
0: Because Third Love offers bras in more than 70 sizes, including half cup sizes. Exactly. Yeah, I can't move my body, but my <laughs> mouth's working okay. <laughs> they are designed with breast size and shape in mind. And you can order them online and try them on at home.
1: See, exactly. Uh, I've never had such a nice talk with an incapacitated person. (laughs) As I am this one. Uh, This isn't
0: as terrifying as I've been led to believe.
1: Oh, right? Yeah. You just lay there and your friend tells you about lingerie. (laughs) So here's the deal. If you want a third love bra, you can do what I did. You can become the Living Act Master or... You can answer a few simple questions to find your perfect fit in 60 seconds with 3rd Love's Fit Finder quiz.
0: And for initiates, 3rd Love helps you identify your breast size and shape and find styles that fit your body.
1: Exactly. And every customer has 60 days to wear it, wash it, put it to the test, and if you don't love it, just return it. And 3rd Love will wash it and donate it to a woman in need. Well, that's nice. I think so. And returns and exchanges are free And they're easy.
0: Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone. So right now they're offering our listeners 15% off their first orders.
1: Oh my goodness. So if you can move your arms and hands and legs. I will eventually. Unlike Ross. Go to thirdlove.com slash oh no to find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your first purchase.
0: That's thirdlove.com slash oh no for 15% off today. Yay. Hey, speaking of online security,
1: uh, okay, Ross. But like, I feel like we should get you a doctor or something. Which we but, okay. weren't.
0: No, no, I'm good here. Okay, all right. Yeah, you know, it's not too bad. There's aliens standing in the corner.
1: <laughs> okay, uh, behind me.
0: But yeah, but I'm cool okay. with it.
1: All right. They're great.
0: not doing anything. They're just kind of shifting menacingly, and like every now and then they—that's
1: doing something. They,
0: they do bare their teeth.
1: Oh yeah, this and that isn't... freaks me
0: out a little bit.
1: Right. But you want to talk about internet security?
0: Yeah. Okay. i am I've just, I've, I've got this whole thing about like men in black now in my <laughs> mind. I'm thinking about security. There's, right. there's a lot of shifty, teeth-bearing, horrible people on the internet who are trying to steal your passwords and hack into your accounts.
1: Yeah. I didn't think we'd be talking about it right now, but... I guess we are. So uh, actually, Ono, Ross, and Carrie is supported in part by Dashlane.
0: Is that so? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's perfect because they are a service that can help you store all of your passwords in one location. And you can stop using that same password right. that's already been exposed in a hack online. Uh. And you can stop using that. You can start generating very complex, useful passwords that Dashlane will store for you. So you only have to remember one master password.
1: Oh, hey. Okay. And this is your primary concern right now? I I still can't feel my toes. Yeah, okay. (laughs) Well, Dashlane is the only tool you need to stay safe online. Maybe not in bed, but online. It's got you covered. Worried about losing access to your accounts, having weak or reused passwords... Yeah, don't do that. Right? Worried about somebody monitoring your internet history? Worried That's about. None
0: of their business. Uh
1: huh. Worried about your data getting hacked. You know, all this stuff. Dashlane keeps you safe online from every direction. And using Dashlane is a great life hack because you don't need three or four different tools. Dashlane just does everything in one place and it's cheaper.
0: Yeah, it's got like a built in VPN. It'll fill out online forms for you, it'll store your credit card info, all of that important stuff. And it's all secure. All you have to do is download it, and you won't have to worry about online security issues ever again.
1: Ever again.
0: Worried about that recent tech company hack? Dashlane will tell you if your data is compromised. Mm -hmm. Worried about having access to all your passwords on any device? Mm -hmm. Dashlane's got you covered.
1: Ah, And they've got a free basic version, but Dashlane Premium has... All of those features. And it's cheaper than most VPNs or standalone security services. So get peace of mind knowing that Dashlane is actively protecting you from every freaking angle.
0: But you can try it out first. Go to www.dashlane.com slash onrack, O-N-R-A-C, to get a free 30-day trial of Dashlane Premium to try the features in action.
1: And then if you like it, you can use our coupon code, which is onrack, O-N-R-A-C, at checkout for a 10% off discount. Sweet deal. Yeah. Before we take you to the hospital, I also want to tell you that there's a new podcast I think you'll really like.
0: I want to hear more.
1: It's a podcast called, this podcast is self-care. And friend of the show, Drew Spears, who's been on the show a million times. The Drew Spears? the Drew Spears. He and Kate Raft co-host it. And it's very funny. Uh, It's all about like the different ways people use to love themselves. And they're very funny and uh, I think very cleverly dance around on the border of sincerity and insincerity for an hour. It's pretty impressive. Oh, I love it. Yeah. (laughs) It's really fun.
0: That's a hard tango to tango.
1: Yeah. So you should listen. I will. And for now, we'll call 911.
0: And back to our interview with David. You were mentioning the previous teacher who had a light and sound. Do you know what that sound was? Was it the hue?
2: Oh, you mean like the light and the sound? What do you mean in terms of-
0: Before Paul Twitchell. Yeah, what
2: happened is in Twitchell's case, he gets initiated by Kripal Singh. Right. And the technique is threefold. One is you repeat a mantra, which is five names. It's just names, you know, okay. like some Hindi names. Or actually derived from Punjabi probably or Sanskrit. And then what happens is then you try to concentrate here on the third eye mm-hmm. to see light, okay? And then try to listen to a certain sound. And the sound that's really interesting. What will it sound like? bell. They, oh. they want to hear the tinkling of a bell sound. Now, the tinkling of the bell sound, what will happen is, since I've meditated a lot, your body will start going numb. Now, the problem is, is that I have a theory of consciousness that our brains evolved the virtual simulator the hypothesis. Mikio Kaku, mm-hmm. other people, Ramachandran out of UCSD, have hypothesized that we evolved this simulation. That is, I'll make it real simple. If you can insource various strategies before outsourcing them, you have a distinct advantage over other species that cannot do that. So mm-hmm. just think of like, like for a dog, for instance. Mm-hmm. It tends not to think about the future and the past like the way we do. And the fact Probably. that we, can't, we don't know for sure, but let's just imagine that we is given a language, we can think about the future of this trajectory, this trajectory, all sorts of things. So that when I'm going to go hunt the tiger tomorrow, I have an advantage, a huge mm-hmm. advantage. Fair yeah. enough. So the argument among these neurologists is that consciousness evolved is a virtual simulator mm-hmm. that is it mm-hmm. simulates
0: things yeah. to run other people's That's minds. Right. Here's what the tiger's That's thinking. That's right,
2: exactly. So it gives you. So I was making the argument that in meditation, what happens is people go to these simulations almost like lucid dreams, and they see them
0: really vividly.
2: Mm. Oh, right. Okay.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, that doesn't mean they really are seeing these But things. it's
2: indistinguishable right. but it from reality. it seems like
0: reality. Because it's using mm-hmm. all the same neural pathways. That's the argument I'm just going to make. Yeah. Kind of a, a origins of consciousness right. and the breakdown of the Oh, yeah, book, the Julian Jaynes book. Very
2: famous. Great title. Yeah. yeah. I love that.
1: Yeah. I wonder if people like me who don't have a very active inner eye, if that's more difficult for us. Because I don't really think in words or pictures. Like, I think in these sort of amorphous the feeling of thinking about something, you which know, has... I'm
2: so glad you said yeah. that because Susan Blackmore, you may have heard. Yes, of her oh, we, love, we Susan. love Susan. I love Susan. She's wonderful. She had made a very interesting argument. She said those who have a more disassociative personality, which means they tend to remember their dreams more visually and all that, uh-huh. tend to have more spiritual experiences.
1: Oh, yeah, I'm mm. sure.
2: See, you know what I mean. So that yeah. makes good sense because a lot of people in the Shabbat Yoga group or even Ekankar, they don't get experiences. They get real frustrated.
1: Uh And I've always wondered,
2: do you remember your dreams?
1: Well, see, and I remember my dreams. So I don't know. But there's something called non-literal thinking that apparently it's like one in, I don't know, 50 people or something. And I thought everyone thought like this, that when I say, oh, I'm picturing so-and-so, I'm not literally picturing it. It's wild to me that other people have an actual visual picture in their head. I use that totally metaphorically. I see. And when I'm thinking... I'm sort of like plotting the thought in my head, but there's no actual dialogue or voice in my head. But you're both looking at me oh, no. like, "Oh no, the, the, how fascinating and weird.
0: This is a discussion within <laughs> no, the creative. That's,
2: that's a very good point because that shows you that people have different brain states. Right. Yeah. And from that, we'll have different experiences. Exactly.
0: That comes up in the creative arts quite often. And there was recently an article and it was talking about how Glenn Keane, one of the most famous animators in the world who drew Ariel and the Little Mermaid and Beast and Beauty and the Beast. That he doesn't think visually. Mm -hmm. He says, I don't see pictures in my head just like oh, you're okay, describing good. Cute, and you would and think yeah you would think he would be like the paragon of being able to do that and many other very creative people that I know uh, you know have that same mm-hmm. handicap quote unquote right. question mark right. right but but it seems like as these beliefs form and the groups form they find niches for every different personality type yes. so maybe you have those people who see these things and they become the John the Baptists right crying out to everybody else and right. then they follow and fit within their own niches oh I'm really bookish and I like to read all this yes. stuff
1: whereas I think I think If you and I worked for one of these groups, we would be put out as the sort of forward facing person who's able to articulate everything to a larger crowd Ooh. and do the PR stuff. That's yeah, where wh- we would fit in. Whatever
0: your specialty is. Yeah, there's, yeah. A,
1: That's there's right. a little spot. And you for may you. not
2: be the experiential ones. You exactly. may not be the mystics of the group. Exactly. That's a good point.
1: That's good. Another thing I learned from your book that I didn't know about was that Paul Twitchell used to just directly answer questions in his newsletter. And some of his answers, oh. he, he actually made predictions that didn't come true. Yes. Like, uh, didn't spot that Nixon would win.
2: Yes. Didn't he have Romney <laughs> or something like that? Did yeah, he said. Oh, George uh, Romney? Yeah, right. Amazing. Yeah.
1: Yes. Someone said, dear guru, things are so bad for this country that I must ask you to talk to God about the political future. I am asking as a loyal reader of the candid press. Right. And he said, well, I didn't want to make any predictions on certain events, but you copy. So, okay, here we go. And then he says, the war in Vietnam will increase until late in 1968 when the doves of both sides come to the negotiating table. In 1968, Johnson and Humphrey will run against Romney and Percy and win.
2: (laughs) Wow. Whoopsie. (laughs) Completely wrong. And that's one of the funniest things, that talk to God thing, like Frilly Fred and all that weird stuff. Again, I think he's trying to make money. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's obvious to me that he's got, okay, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. You know, This is probably sixty eight seven, sixty eight when he writes that. Right. And he's still broke. Ekankar hasn't really taken off.
0: Let's talk about the term Ekankar itself. Uh, you write in your book that it's a Punjabi term. Yeah, right, right.
2: In fact, the Sikhs, as you know, Ekankar is a very sacred name. One god is really what it means. It's two ek, words. Yeah, you got Ek-dotin-char-panch. Ek, dotin char panch. ek just simply means one. Like if you're doing Punjabi or Hindi. Okay.
1: And so, so it's a and statement that's just, of monotheism. Yeah. And that's just E K. Yeah, E-K. Much like the the X symbol. That's
2: right. And so what they did is they kind of co opted it with E C K kind of
0: so they could trademark it. Yeah, and you added know. an A, so instead of ek That's exactly right. Ek-unkar. That's
2: right. And he most likely got that term is <laughs> there's a chapter in Path of the Masters where he lists all these kind of Hindi names or Punjabi names for God, and Ekankar appears there. So I suspect that's where he got it.
1: He's just barely trying. It's like, you know, saying, well, someone I don't want to mention, but we'll call him Bonald Rump. (laughs) So transparent.
0: It's interesting that their logo ended up with the EK, not ECK. That's right. That's right. Yeah. That makes more sense now. Yeah, right. And that's why they
2: did it. But of course, they he claimed he got it from the Pali Canon text, some Buddhist scriptures. Just assuming no
0: one would ever look at anything else. Yeah,
2: and not realize that the Sikhs were going, wait a second, this is our, you know, Ekankar Satnam Siri Waguru is one of our Mount Mantras. So,
1: so let's talk a little about Harold Klemp. You were. About to dish some juicy goss before we turned on the microphones. You said that Harold had always been sort of a little out of it. Oh, he had, and- he, had,
2: he had a breakdown in the airport. In fact, he even mentions it in his autobiography. He had a breakdown. Oh, okay. He had a mental breakdown. I think, I'm not sure if he took all his clothes off or whatever, but he was kind oh, of nuts goodness. for okay. a little while. And he, he could tell that he's a sincere believer. This is what's a very interesting point about Clamp. He really believes it. I mean, he, he joined okay. Ecken-Kar, like He buys it. Like, okay. He thinks this is truth.
1: Okay. And mm-hmm.
2: so you know that's mm-hmm. the most dangerous thing. And he's aware of your findings. Yeah, he has and he, to and be. he came out. He came out in about 1984 with a seminar mm-hmm. which he tried to address the Paul Twitchell issue. Okay. You know, like the
0: plagiarism and all sorts we've of been stuff. Talking about? And he
2: tried to, you know, like give a different explanation, a rationalization.
0: Oh, there's him. there's truth, but there's also yeah, a lot yeah, of Yeah, yeah, right. Things and he was it was in in a there.
2: difficult time and you know, he had to get the truth out and mm-hmm. so he kind of hedges a little kind of acknowledges some of the plagiarism okay uh, clearly that's why he pulls the far country out of circulation he-
1: well what makes you think that he's a true believer
2: Well back when before Darwin was appointed there was a guy working at the print office named David Stewart and I went to go visit him and David was a, a interesting guy at the print office, and we talked. And th- wait, do you guys know David? we, oh, know, we know David Stewart. David Stewart. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: He was a pastor. Uh, oh, yeah, when yeah. we were
2: investigating, 70 yeah, 70 yeah. I, I don't think it's the same guy. But, I'm sure not. But he was a very sincere guy in Eckington, and he was really thrown off when he had read my term paper because he thought, "Oh my God, you know, I, I, you know, I really believed in Eckington." At the time, Klimt was also working at that print office and okay. was known to be very sincere. Like he really believed it. Mm-hmm. And so when he got appointed, this is my hypothesis, is that he goes, wow, I got this exalted position. I really do believe these dreams I've been having are probably true. Mm-hmm. And so he has to kind of figure a way out to to kind of hold on to the group. And I think it's his sincerity that he believes it that's mm-hmm. sustained him
0: for the last 30 years. Okay. Not a Could
1: cynical. Be.
2: No, no. He's not. This is going to sound terrible. He's not smart enough. Mm, Okay. I mean, he's not academic, intellectual enough. Mm -hmm. He's like a naive believer. Yeah, he's Mm -hmm. not. I mean, he's cunning in his own protect the organization way, protect himself kind of way, Mm -hmm. but not cunning in the sense of like, really think this through Mm. like you guys have done. Mm -hmm. You know, you got to a point where you get shattered. Mm-hmm. Where it was Shermer did,
1: mm-hmm. so
2: I don't think he's gone through. that. I think he's still. It's like, well, it sounds weird, but I was brought up Roman Catholic. There's lots of Roman Catholic priests that have done lots of bad things. We all know, mm-hmm. but they still believe, mm-hmm. even though they haven't done the full investigation. So that's he's definitely gross. That's, that's Darwin the Gross seemed to me like a manipulator. Mm-hmm. Twitchell was a kind of uh, entrepreneur trying to please his wife and kind of believed.
1: Oh, you think Twitchell believed? Oh on some yeah.
2: Level. Oh yeah. On some level, definitely.
1: Oh yeah, well, because you said you know he's such a searcher. Yeah, that's right. But, okay. like, like he definitely mm-hmm.
2: believed on some level.
1: Okay, mm. interesting. So we've kind of got three examples here. Then, at least in your mind, the sort of you know really opportunistic, almost con man, Darwin Gross, right. Twitchell, who's kind of in the middle, and Shri Harold. Yeah. And the Darwin it also
2: and partly believes. There's no doubt about that too. See, that's the, the most okay. dangerous thing. Hmm. Each of them have a certain part of believing. The only reason I say Darwin Gross is more manipulative is because he was thinking about himself in terms of just money. Mm-hmm. You know. But he did believe, even to the end.
1: Okay.
0: Yeah. For me, it's always just this you know, shrouded mystery. You can never know fully what's going right. on inside that head. Totally. But, but it's fascinating to look at the outside evidence and what people say and, and people close to them, what they right. can attest to. So now, have
2: you guys read a book by Ford Johnson called Confessions of a Godseeker? No. He was wow. an, you got to check it out. Okay. It's an amazing book. He was a member of Eckankar for 30 years. Okay. A major speaker, well-known, very articulate, high-powered lawyer and defects. Okay. And he writes a scathing book and with full information. You know, much better than mine. Because, you know, I was rudimentary. I young. Oh, okay. Young. Bye. So, yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, get somebody better next time. And so you may want to check that book out.
1: Ford Johnson, right? Ford said, Johnson. Johnson. Okay. Yeah. Confessions of Got a God I see his Kindle. And Adam he had contacted
2: me many years ago to help him on his book.
0: He did a really good job, I thought. A Journey to Higher Consciousness. Right. Okay. He still wants to believe.
1: 590 in, in, pages.
0: Oh yeah, it's a major. He made he did mm. a full on
2: focus on Eckenkar. Oh, it's all on Eckenkar. Oh, Okay. It's all on Eckenkar. You'll you'll find a lot of good
0: information there.
1: Well, I read this 200-page book, so I'll let you read that 600-page <laughs> book oh, and okay. back. Fair <laughs> trade. There you go. I,
0: I wanted to ask you about this image on the front cover. Oh yeah, that's, of, of that's the a classic. Newest release of your book. So what is that? We have Paul Twitchell. Yeah, I'll tell you in, who
2: you got. You got in the middle. You have Kirpal Singh who initiated, Twitchell had just gotten initiated. He's in black, all black with So we're down.
0: looking at a photograph on the cover of the making of the a spiritual, spiritual movement. movement. Right.
2: It's and Dave behind Dan's him book. is Kirpal Singh's associate named Madame Hardevi, not his wife, but some financial backer. On this guy is T.S. Khanna who was one of the representatives of Kirpal Singh.
0: Okay, this is Daddy Warbucks over here. Right.
2: And then the other people, I don't know who they are. But this picture is, when this is very important for a lot of reasons. Because when I first came out, and said Twitchell was initiated by Kirpal Singh. I got an official letter from Kaur denying it
0: mm, that he was right. never initiated. And here is the Didn't photo, he,
2: and we have a photograph. And also, when I went to India, Kirpal Singh's son, who became his successor, named Darshan Singh,
1: found the documents. Gave me
2: every. I got to look at every letter Twitchell had written. Dear Master, dear you know initiation, yep. all the kind of experiences he had, which were mostly dreams. Okay. Mostly dreams. Wow. And Kurt Paul Singh didn't approve of that because he said you have to have it consciously in meditation.
1: Ah, right. Oh, okay. So maybe that was part of the defection. There. Yeah, that was, no, yes. No, my dreams are real. Right. 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 Okay.
0: Now you've mentioned lawsuits from Ekinkar. You also mention just individuals within Ekinkar who have threatened you. Oh, absolutely. And even stolen from you. That's you, a more fascinating story. Let me, I'll start yeah, with Yeah, unpack to, to, that.
2: Ekinkar first threatened Susumi at the age of 20. 20. I think I get threatened at 20. Right. We come out- That emboldens you. In 1983, (laughs) we come out with another edition of The Making of a Spiritual Movement, a guy named Brian Walsh out of Berkeley wanted to publish it. We do a cover with a no X symbol, like the Ghostbusters thing. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> yes. I remember well, seeing that somewhere. One of his somewhere. friends has a brochure of the book and goes to one of the Ecken car seminars in Los Angeles and puts the brochure on every car at the Oh, summit. wow. Ballsy. Well, apparently when they printed it, they didn't do the cover over the X symbol, like you know, the little cross out. Oh, it's shoot. It's just it got it.
0: Uh-oh. So they
2: sue me for copyright oh, infringement, yeah. which is the irony of all ironies. Well, I have a really high-powered lawyer because my sister, you know, blah, blah, blah. So they represent me pro bonum. So we settle out of court. No money. No Nothing gets exchanged. Okay. I don't, th- I don't you didn't agree say, to anything. not say,
1: I got the copyright yeah. from the golden yeah. book. I went to the <laughs> Right, <laughs> I right. No, the I, other-
2: I don't agree to anything, except I promise <laughs> we won't do that cover again. Okay. Well, that book starts selling, on like back at, like 10 years ago, for like 4000 bucks because oh. it's so rare. Right? Oh, right. Nobody would, in their right mind would do it because it's free as a PDF online. I wouldn't buy a bit <laughs> dime for it. But the point is, is that that's an, okay? That's one thing. Then Garland Publishers out of New York and London want to redo the Making of the Spiritual Movement as a reference library book. Mm-hmm. And Melton signs the contract. All gets done. Well, Akincar threatens to sue Garland Publishers if they publish the book. Sure, they do. So they try to suppress it. Because we don't have the deep pockets to deal with Econcar's lawsuits,
0: blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. So that's the next one. We've run into that a lot, uh, the lawsuit as an intimidation tactic. Oh,
2: unquestioned. But the greatest one, the most famous one, is this guy named John Roger Hinkins. He is an offshoot from Econcar, starts his own group called Messiah up in Santa Monica. He runs the University of Santa Monica back in the day. Well, I read him a letter. I said, look, you know, like an offshoot of Econcar. I've done this group on making the spiritual movement. You claim you're not a member of Edgar, but I found out you were a second initiate running a seminar in Rosemead, California, where you used to be a high school teacher teaching English. So he goes, I got 15 minutes. His secretary says, the master's really busy. I'll invite you to Mandeville Canyon, which has a mansion. So I'm like, you know, 20, 21, and I drive over. Now, this is going to sound terrible, so I got to be very careful how I say this, but I make a joke about it. I said, anytime you go to see a cult leader mm-hmm. and you see five guys in short shorts Washing his car, <laughs> you should be suspicious. Mm. So I walk in. I'll tell you why. Because John Rogers said he only had fifteen minutes for me. Well, I was young back then. He looked at me. He goes, "I have all day for you."
1: Oh, interesting. well, it
2: turns out that John Rogers is gay, yeah. but he didn't want anybody to know he's gay because uh, he only uh-huh, wants closeted. to have sex with heterosexual males. Oh, he's not okay. interested in gay males. Oh, so, very similar to
1: the guy in the Buddha field.
2: Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's just something about oh, conquering. Yes, that's right.
1: Yeah, that he was clearly a closeted gay man, but he would pursue men who said that they only were interested in women.
2: Yeah, okay. So, what John Roger, uh, ironically, we somewhat friendly because he's nice to me. He kind of gloves bombs me, goes, I'll support your work on Eckenkar, and mm. you know, all this. It was really kind of nice. So for like five years, I had his bat number. We'd call and talk about my trips to India and stuff like that and met him a couple of times. Well, in 1983, Three or four of his closest members defect. Mm. One comes from South America, two of his secretaries, and we meet in a private meeting in Santa Monica. Mm. And they go, you need to expose John Roger Hinkins. He's a fraud. He's a terrorist. He you know, does all sorts of things. And I said, oh, OK. So I called John Roger on the phone. I say, John, you know, we've known each other for five years. This is what they're saying. He goes out of his mind. Mm. For thirty minutes, screaming at me, I go, "Oh my god, it must be true." Why would you be yeah, upset, right? Oh, right? right. So I then write this much. article called "The JR Controversy: A Critical Analysis of John Roger Hinkins and MSIA." But the day before we publish it, the people's names that we going to use, they all got death threats. So they go, "You can't use our Whoa. names." Oh, man. So I death say, threats. "I go, what the?" So I put my name on it like an idiot, and then what happens is John Roger goes ape robs my house personally. It's in the book called Life 102, What to Do When Your Guru Sues You by yeah, Peter McLean. Uh-huh. It's a famous book. I added Peter's, that to my two read That sounds so amazing. Funny. It's the funniest book ever. So what happens is he comes to my house with a guy named Michael Fader, we suspect, robs my house, takes everything, leaves a note like an idiot, takes my wife's diaries, then writes in the diaries, what? then sends all the stolen material anonymously to Ekonkar, from Santa Monica, like an idiot.
0: Oh, here's some Agincourt dirt on knows
2: this knows they got stolen material. Sends it to my lawyers. We go through, have <laughs> handwriting. It's all John Rogers stuff. So did I this go guy on, go to jail? I go on Geraldo Rivera show back in the day. Had, <gasps> okay. Like, now, before he went to Fox News. Yes. And I said on camera, I go, he robbed my house. John Roger Hinkins. And, you know, so I just uh-huh. go off, And I knew he did. Uh-huh. <laughs> Never did anything about it. You know, he was he knew like he, so I'd written this thing called the criminal activities and I started getting death threats. He threatened to kill my wife. I mean, he up, you were you we, tempted to report this well, to the did, police? We did. We you went did. to the okay. DA. You know, but you go, oh, you got a suitcase stolen, your research material stolen. Yeah, this but the back-
1: breaking and entering part. Yeah, but yeah they, right. They,
2: but you would think. But I guess it was the 80s where they just they had other things to worry about. <laughs> Bigger problems like the satanic, the satanic panic. panic. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. You know, like hey. the, the McMartons down case. in Manhattan Beach, you know. And so in this case, what becomes really fascinating is that is that Peter McWilliams, if you see it's on TV, covers the camera when Geraldo wants to interview John Roger. And Peter's... Pretty famous because he's the guy who starts medical marijuana in Southern California.
1: Okay. You know, a lot of people Wait, don't know. Okay. A lot of moving parts so, in this wow. story. So it's
2: unbelievable. And he's famous. because He's written all these books, Life 101. So. so he crosses the camera. All right. So Peter contacts me in 1994 saying, I've defected and I, I need your help. I go, what? The last time you freaking idiots tried, I you wouldn't put your name in it. I got robbed and death threats. And he set up a... John Rogers set up a thing called the Coalition for Civil and Spiritual Freedom, where he sent out incredible letters against me, claiming I was an FBI, gay FBI agent.
0: This is like the a gay
2: part didn't bother me. The FBI sure. agent was way too far. Uh, wow.
1: Wait, so this is 1994, so now you're in your 30s. Yes. Okay, what yes. were you doing at that point? I was a
2: professor. You were already. I'd a professor. already got my okay. PhD and doing got other it. stuff, you know. So okay, so Peter DeFacts. Comes to visit me in Del Mar. And he goes, Dave, I need your help. Uh-huh. I go, dude, I can't do this. I'm going to get you know, c- you know, killed. And, but he's a nice guy. So I said, here's all my stuff. So he writes this book called Life 102. Kay. What to do when you're a good- guru. Well, Ariana Huffington's husband, <laughs> Michael Huffington, was running for senator, <laughs> if you remember this. Uh, no. Yeah? Yes. She was running for – he, he was going to win. He was going against Dianne Feinstein. Uh huh. But she goes on camera and denies that she's a follower of John Rogers.
1: Okay. Vanity
2: Fair comes out against her. People magazine goes against her. L. A. Times goes against her. They lose the election by a hundred thousand votes. <gasps> Michael Huffington comes out as gay. The marriage was arranged. They get divorced. She gets a sum of like thirty million dollars. I don't know how much she got. She then turns from conservative. If you remember back in the nineties, she was. Right wing uh, goes left wing, okay. creates the Huffington Post. Right. Uh-huh. Still loves John Roger. It's like one of those secret things about him. <laughs> oh, my God! Yeah, I know. It's unbelievable.
1: Okay. So then,
2: okay, so it gets Karen worse. Is rubbing <laughs> the sides of This eyes. story gets worse. I hate, I hate to do this to you, but what happens is Peter Amazing. then does this book, but I do it under one stipulation. Uh-huh. If you publish this book, <laughs> it has to go free on my new website, Neural Surfer. Yeah, put it on my website, and he goes, "Oh yeah, no problem." So I do it. Okay. Well, I'm in London teaching at the University of London or something like that. I get a phone call from my secret mole. We had a secret mole at MSI. Sure. Yeah, of course. <laughs> like the deep throat kind of thing. Yeah. I won't Just mention. His he n- he I won't mention his name, MIA. but I will. His name is Greg Volamas. And so what happens is he calls me. He goes, Greg Volamas. S- he goes, "You've been screwed." I go, "What are you talking about?" The Life One Two came out. It was great. He got a great chapter about the robbing in my house. It's real nice. Yeah. And, and he goes, "No, no, you don't understand." Peter McWilliams has offered two million dollars cash to sell the copyright of Life 102 back to John Roger, to pull the book off every Barnes and Noble off-border oh, back wow. in And I go, well, how am I screwed? He goes, Dave, thank. The only place the book exists is on your website. Uh. They're going to come after you. They do. They sue me. Mm. I then have William Rogers, used to be Secretary of State of the United States. Well, Rogers and Wells is a big law firm. They're going to represent me pro bonum, like First Amendment right or whatever, Listen to this one. So we get sued. They want to go to court on this thing. We get a deposition from Peter because he's our expert witness. Like, mm-hmm. Peter is like, I did this for day, you know, blah, blah, Well, here's the punchline. I should have settled. They were going to offer me money or
1: whatever. No, you shouldn't Well, settled. you'll see why. Okay.
2: So it goes to court, goes to trial, and our expert witness is Peter McWilliams. Well, Peter McWilliams is dying from AIDS. Oh. Pe- John Roger had told him that if he wrote books with him, he would prevent oh, no. him he had HIV, would prevent him from getting AIDS. Peter bought into it because oh, he was like oh, some divi- no. Oh, it's unbelievable. But the only way Peter could take his AIDS medicine was smoking pot. Now pot was illegal oh, right, at this
1: time. Right, right, because of the So the Federal because government because so, uh, he had uh, come out
2: arguing for medical marijuana. In fact, he'd done this thing in Beverly Hills where they were going medical marijuana. He was a famous guy. They put him in jail, in lockup, but he can't take his AIDS medicine because he can't smoke his pot, because he gets nausea. Oh. So the judge, we tell the judge, we don't want him to show up as expert witness. He's, you know, in jail. She goes, No, bring him in. He comes in from federal lockup with shackles on, mm-hmm. walks by me in front of the judge, and winks like don't worry, Dave. And I'm like, well, you can't wink in front of a judge. She's not yeah. going to buy the testimony. <laughs> right. mm-hmm. He supports everything I say. Mm-hmm. She disagrees, thinks that Peter's lying. Mm-hmm. I lose the case, have to pay the legal bill of John Roger Hinkins. Oh, no, oh. it gets better. No, it gets better in a good way. So I, and this, I'll say this on camera, on, on audio, I I told, get the, out I told the president of MSIA, I said, don't worry. Uh, no problem. I'll pay you know hundreds of thousands or how much it was. I forget. I said uh, just tell John Roger one thing uh, that not everything was stolen from my house when he robbed it. And I'm writing a new book called Life One Hundred and Three: John Roger Against Me. Just tell him that. Uh-huh. They come back. Uh-huh. They go. We will pay the legal bill. <gasps> we will offer you money not to write that book. Oh wow! And between you and me, there was no such book.
1: Ah! <laughs> it was a complete bluff. And I
2: apologize, but that's. And that was the end of the John Rogers saga.
1: Wow. Amazing. So I I stand by you shouldn't have settled because you ended up prevailing.
2: Oh, that's what I never did. You're a like, very good point. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. You're right. You're yeah. Right. It's not good to settle because then it sets a bad president.
1: Yeah, yeah. And almost always settlements have gag orders attached yes. to them and then you can't tell the truth. Yeah. yeah.
2: So that's the the John Rogers. And he died recently. Yeah. Um, and- what a story! What
1: a Forrest Gump style story where it's, you're like hopping from political yes. and it's just tied to, to everything. Historical. Yeah. If figure, you go on yeah.
0: in YouTube, you'll find all the.
1: Okay, stuff,
0: so amazing. Know.
1: So tell us about your life now. My, uh, you're a professor, I, a professor of. I'm a professor phlo- of philosophy. philosophy for the
2: last thirty years. I used to teach at Cal State Long Beach for ten, teaching science and religion. My wife's also a professor of philosophy. She's been here for twenty eight years. We have two boys. Oldest one is Sean, who just got accepted to UC Berkeley. So I'm hey. excited. Uh, congrats. And then my youngest son is Kelly. He'd written this book. What was it called? This When Computers Become Human. Okay. And it got accepted in China, of all places. They gave him a $1,500 down advance. Advance. Okay. To translate into Mandarin Chinese. How wow. wonderful. Which is like, kind of cool. He's a real smart kid. You know, nerdy guys. You know, yeah. Yeah. And so uh, right now, I'm just interested, as you are, like kind of in the science of things. hmm and we're right now'm with uh, Professor Jurgensmeyer and I are working on a new book for Oxford University Press for Great. an updated edition on the radhaswami tradition. Okay you know, the, all the offshoots and how they all get connected.
1: Great. so
2: fascinating.
1: My undergrad degree was in philosophy. Oh really? Where do you go? Uh, University at the Pacific?
2: Oh right on UOP, and did you, if like, you will? Uh, of philosophy which ones uh, any philosophers you liked?
1: Philosophers, yeah, yeah, I mean, I was really into like biocentric ethics, so uh, Albert Schweitzer oh, um, James Randalls, yeah. um gosh, I'm thinking back fifteen years, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean all the I mean ethics was definitely my bag, I understand yeah, that. which classes do you teach?
2: I teach uh, just a general introduction to philosophy and then okay. I teach uh, critical thinking classes. Uh, I used to teach at Cal State Long Beach uh, science and religion class, which was fun. Cool. That was cool. That was an upper division class. Uh, in the old days, I used to teach doctoral studies at California School of Professional Psychology. I don't think it exists anymore. It was back mm-hmm. in Del Mar. And I taught at UCSD. California for... School
1: of Professional Psychology. Yeah, CSSP. Is, is that now Alliant University? I think
2: you're right. Okay. I think you're right. I think okay. that's what it is.
1: That is where Dr. Jeff went.
0: Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay.
1: That ties into a totally different investigation. Really? How about yeah. yourself?
0: Rhythmia of our ayahuasca investigation, the chief medical officer is the oh, one she's referring cool. to. cool. I studied animation and I work in animation. I love animation. Me too. I, I love that stuff. It's. I feel the highest art form because you have to do all those other things: composition, lighting, yeah. e- emoting. But it has to move convincingly as yeah, well. Yeah, and
2: it's a hell of a lot of work.
0: Yeah, it's amazing. It's, it ever it takes gets made. all your senses. So, so that that's my background.
2: Oh, that's cool. And so, you guys have been doing this podcast for a long time now—eight years. Eight years. You know, what, of all the podcasts you've done, what was the funnest one? You know, the one you just went, "Oh my god, this is weird."
1: Laughter yoga. <laughs>
0: After yoga. Tell That's me. the most fun. Yeah. A bunch of adults getting together and finding excuses to laugh, even That's if they've got it's, nothing to laugh about. It's
1: really great. You start out.
0: There's no yoga poses. There's no yoga mats.
1: Right. You start out in a room of maybe usually 40, 50 people. The person standing at the front of the room will start laughing. And at first you're thinking, <laughs> okay, I guess I'll force laughter along with him. This is awkward. And then you start laughing at the fact that you're laughing. And then you're laughing at the awkwardness of you laughing. And pretty soon you're in genuine stitches. <laughs> really? Yeah. So it works. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's great. That's, a great, that's really me cool. me am
0: thinking about it. I want to go. One oh, of my favorites was uh we d- took a speed reading course and i didn't learn to you know read as fast as you can flip pages that's ridiculous but i got so many little pieces of practical advice and it kind of emboldened me as a reader uh-huh. and now i read more than twice as many books really per year as i did oh, that's before good. that's good so that's it good. made my life better
2: yeah that's the inte- some of this stuff that's the other thing that's what's w- kind of weird about these cults is that sometimes it works right oh, i mean that's one of the selling points is people are yeah. getting something out of it
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, if we don't understand the benefits of all these things, we'll never get at the root of it. Right. Yeah.
0: I just gave a talk at Atheist United a few weeks ago, and it was lessons learned from belief and just all these really good practices. You know, like the the Mormons, they do great genealogical research. Mm
2: -hmm. Unbelievable.
0: And it's Mm -hmm. motivated by their beliefs. uh, But if you you pull all of that away, it's still a great practice. That's right. They store up food for the future and then give it out to their communities. That's great.
2: You know, in this uh, class on evolution I was teaching, I said, you know, uh, we come up with this thing called meaning equivalence. Any meaning is better than no meaning, provided that such meaning, even if such meaning is nonsense... Makes you live an extra
1: day. Oh, wow.
2: You know, like yeah? if you think about it, any meaning system, mm-hmm. whatever gets, you know, Camus had made that very famous philosophical question. He said, There's only one great philosophical question whether to commit suicide or not, mm-hmm. which is a Shakespearean Hamlet to be or mm-hmm. not to be. And on one level, from evolution perspective, if you can live long enough to pass on your genetic code, it You're doesn't good. matter what you believe in, provided that you believe it.
1: Right. You know, it always and gets it's you successful. The day. Yeah. That's
2: right. So, in that light, then that's why we have thousands of religions because mm-hmm. they float people's boat.
0: And it's apparently fun to be the leader and creator of the religion, the founder and discoverer of the religion.
2: You get all these benefits. Yeah. Yes.
0: Since I've got you here, yes. uh, I just want to pick your head about this because one thing that always fascinates us is the psychological profile, what it takes to make a founder of a religion. <laughs> you kind of grit your teeth there a little bit. Well, what are the common factors?
2: Okay, I'm going to say something that's probably not true, but it's my observation. <laughs> okay, great. Okay, This is a very guy thing, so you'll, you'll get it. Okay. Let me to walk out of the room. No, or? no, 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 no. I mean, like in grammar school.
0: Yeah, we have to stick our penises. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah right. No, <laughs> in our, in grammar school, a guy. It, it, when I was in grammar school, and all guy, I went to Catholic schools, right? Uh-huh. And what we wanted to do is be like the best athlete, you know, like the strongest guy. Well, if you don't become that, right? Because you don't become, you, you look for alternative ways to uh-huh. get social status. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Louis Dumont calls it homo hierarchus. He is a very French anthropologist, and so the next thing you do is you probably mm. become the comedian or the mm-hmm. you know the funny guy or yeah. maybe the mod guy or maybe right. the goth guy or maybe mm-hmm. the dark guy or whatever it may be. Right? Yeah, yeah. So my hypothesis is is that cult leaders had tried every one of these things and never made it. So what happened is they said, shit, I'm God.
0: This is my way to <laughs> be king of
2: the, the hill. This is my way to become somebody.
1: So this is a, sort of a version of the failed artist That's it. idea. You know, it's interesting though, what that reminds me the most of is my predecessor at the James Randy Educational Foundation, a skeptical organization. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, so my predecessor was this woman named Sadie Crabtree, who was great, and she had a theory about why so many skeptics were assholes in organized skepticism, oh, and it was this. <laughs> she said, well, you've got all these guys who couldn't get fucked in high school oh my God, and so and brilliant. they were like why i'm smart why does no wow. one want to fuck me for being smart wow. uh and so then See, you know the they end. weaponized they, 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 it they meet
2: at the same spot <laughs> cult leaders and skeptics same people
0: it's just <laughs> it's <laughs> that's a, a for our show? <laughs> it's a way to rise to the top of the hierarchy excellent, of needs excellent Oh, fascinating. And uh, it even applies to women as well, the Mary Baker Eddies and the Ellen Whites of the world. Teal Swan. uh, Teal Swan, yes. the Theosophy Society. Oh, yeah,
1: Helen Blavatsky. Teal
0: Teal Swan's an oddity because she's such a conventionally attractive person. She is,
1: but she tried to be a model and it didn't seem to work out. Oh, 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 and a
0: professional snowboarder as well, I believe. (laughs)
1: about that okay yeah. well anyway
0: anyway we could talk to you all day oh, and, I appreciate and, you guys. and the thank next you day so this has been fantastic i want to go back to school and take your classes oh there you <laughs> go thank you thank you so much for sharing your your knowledge with us on ekin car and other things it's been fantastic
1: and where can people find you if they want to read more of your books or uh, you know, hear from th- you online? i have a
0: website
2: called great. neuralsurfer.com great just think of the brain think of
0: surfing.com you're
2: there
1: got it
0: because you are a surfer as well yeah Fantastic.
1: Well, that's it for our show. Our thanks to David Christopher Lane for being our guest.
0: Yes. Our theme music is by Brian Keith Dalton.
1: Our administrative manager is Ian Kramer.
0: Our editor is Victor Figueroa.
1: You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash ONRAC, O-N-R-A-C.
0: And why wouldn't you do that? There's pictures, there's articles, there's all Videos. kinds of fun things. You can also follow us on Twitter at ono oh Podcast.
1: And why don't you go ahead and support us at MaximumFun.org forward slash donate.
0: Yes, and thank you. To all of our supporters, and remember. If I had to leave you with one quote,
2: it's from Nicholas of Cusa, who says, The unattainable is attained by its unattainment.
1: (laughs) (laughs) One to chew on. I'm Anake and I'm James, and together we are the self-proclaimed Wonder Twins of podcasting and host Minority Corner. We tackle subjects like LGBTQ topics, pop culture, and untold histories of American POCs, like the true story of escaped slave turned pirate turned Navy man in the Civil War turned Congressman Robert Smalls. Plus, current events from our perspective, deep dive movie and TV reviews. You'll also get awesome book recommendations from their neighborhood-friendly librarian. Don't forget. Get my award-winning Jennifer Hudson impressions. And I'm telling you. While never taking ourselves too seriously. Minority Corner. Because together, we're the majority. Every Friday here on Maximum Maximum Fun. Fun. Most importantly, David, has anyone told you that you wrote an expose? (laughs) Never. See? (laughs) I'm useful. Okay.
0: Never. Maximumfun.org.
2: Comedy and culture.